Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out. Hey everyone, Aaron Noonan here. Welcome again to another episode of the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Repco. Great to have you with us on board for this episode. Now my guest is John Faulkner, the longtime NASCAR, OSCAR and V8 supercar, touring car, karting driver. We split the chat that I had with him recently across two weeks. So this is part two. If you haven't heard part one, go back and have a listen to it so then you can play through and the rest of this one makes sense to you. Now, in part two, we talk some more about his time in NASCAR and Oscar. We also talk about the time that many people have forgotten this, that Peter Brock raced one of the John Faulkner Racing Team Oscars at the Calder Park uh, Road Circuit. We talk about the process for him getting into V8 supercars, making the all-important top 10 shootout at Bathurst as a privateer, And he opens up to, on his exit from V8 Supercars in 2003, and that $300,000 fine uh, that was attached to it in the wake of a a scenario at Queensland Raceway with licences and cars and tyre banks and sales. There was stuff going on, and it was Faulkner who was left uh, without a seat at the end of it all and $300,000 next to the company's name. Uh, He reveals his battles with cancer in recent years as well in this podcast, And JF answers your National Motor Racing Museum couch racer questions. So here we go. Buckle up. Time to start part two of John Faulkner on the V8 Sleuth podcast, powered by Repco. At a time there, the Oscar series and NASCAR started racing uh, on the short track at Oran Park under lights. So they've got good crowds and summer racing. It was a real hit. But was that one of those ones, one of those events where you launched the infamous line of something on an in-car camera, or you you basically thought you you told your crew engrave my name on the trophy, we're going to get a win tonight, and it all turned to crap. Is that is that yeah. how that one unfolded? My most my most embarrassing moment. Gary Rogers made sure everyone knew about it. Um, no one really knows the story, and there is no story. Um, I was I went out there, and I was I was absolutely the fastest guy in. Oscar, I was like, was if it wasn't the second, it was the second and a half faster than the nearest car in every session, and it just suited me. It suited my new engine. We just had everything spot on, and I'd won at Indy. I was so far in front at Indy and Oscar, they gave the checkered flag to someone else. You know, like I just had an amazing amount of speed late in the Oscar series. And at Iron Park, I took it there and was super fast. And some dude stuck a microphone and 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 he's oh you know you're going really good. And I said if that's all the competition is, you might as well put my name on the trophy, right? So they took that out of context. And the race starts. There's basically me and Stephen Richards. Um, the roll round. I uh, wasn't worried at all. I just thought I was going to drive away from him because I was already like nearly a second faster than him. And right on, just before they dropped the flag, my clutch pedal jams on the floor. Cable comes off the clip. I've got no clutch. So I've crashed and bashed the gearbox the whole race, which has made me drive like an absolute cockhead. I don't normally drive like that. Um, yeah, I move people around, but... 
I was blatantly using him to stop. Um, I was, you know, I couldn't get gears and, you know, I was carrying gears and brakes is what you need and no one knew, you know. I, I was on the radio to the crew but no media knew and made an absolute idiot myself. It was a great race. Like, I really, I was really enjoying it. And I thought he had trouble because I thought he, he would have just driven off into the distance. But he seemed more intent on, um, you know, giving out what I was giving him. And <laughs> in the end, it, um, you know, I bent the steering and you know, he went on to win. And and everyone thought I was a cockhead because, you know, I just was yeah driving like an idiot. But I came in and the pedal was on the floor, as I said, and we didn't really make a big deal about it until um, <laughs> Gary Rogers kept jamming it down the throat every five minutes <laughs> right through into the supercar days. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, it was good. Like, it was good fun. And, and I'd taken the brand-new road course Chevrolet Monte Carlo there, and, and in practice, again, I was super fast. And come across another guy over the dog leg. I think it was Mark King who didn't see me, and I fenced it. So I backed that brand new car into the fence, and you know, an all nighter for everybody else, and then no win in the Oz car, so no money, and yeah, mm. not good. One of those weekends. One of the ones that was good though. Uh, it happened once. Peter Brock drove for John Faulkner Racing. Peter Brock Classic Oscar Support Racing. Ninety-five, uh, you, I mean, ah, a unique yeah. element that pretty cool that you grew up watching. You know, standing there over the fence watching him race, then getting on the track with him in a uh, in a smaller class car. Now he's driving, albeit a one-off, but the zero five is on a John Faulkner Racing Commodore. That's pretty special. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, I'd I'd had a good relationship with him and Bev because I was running. You know, the Corolls at every round would win, so we always. We always Always on a, you know, it was a trailer and a truck. In those days, they'd cart you around in the freezing cold after a race and wave to the crowd. So, yeah, I, I was, you know, we knew each other well. And if it wasn't me and Brock, it was me and Bow, whoever bought the smokes. And, you know, it was a, I was a class driver, but I had the respect of them at least at that stage. And a PR guy approached us and said, hey, uh, Peter Brock, Classic was a night race. Um, he'd like to, um, you know, drive an Oscar. What, you know, what do you think? And I said, oh, fantastic. You know, that it was just a done deal. No, no money. We'd prep it. Um, I told my sponsors they were ecstatic. You know, like it was just couldn't do enough to, to make it happen. Uh, but strict set of rules. You know, um, he needed. New tyres, it had to be safe. He'd want to come and sit in the car, and we did all that. Did the seat, and um, it's funny. He went to open the door, you know, the world had shut. It was just, it was just like straight out, something straight out of the movie. Had to climb in and out the windows, and that was Brocky. That was really good, and he was fast. He was just, you know, he wound off everything: tyres, brakes, engine. You know, just maxed out. And those sort of cars, you had to, with the tyres we had and on a flat track race, you really had to, you know, pussy the tyres and look after brakes. They were at brakes, but they, you know, they, um, they got hot as well and you weren't allowed a lot of ducting. And But he, yeah, look, he 
we gave him a really fast car. It was identical. We had two cars identical. It was just nothing. You know, your choice of engine, whatever you want. You know, we gave it to him, and he was right there. He was tenths off me, and, and we were like top three, you know, I think pretty much all weekend, except he couldn't come to grips with the tyres, you know, the brakes. Like, he was the last of the late breakers anyway. Um, but every time he came in, the telltale was, you know, if it wasn't seven and a half, it was 8,000 revs, and we were pretty much 6,100 was it. You know, Larry would go, you know, don't, no, just bloody downshifting, you know, 6,100, that's it. You know, don't make any more power after that cock, you know. And just, just yeah, the old telltale, uh, you know. Don't lie. <laughs> Straight out of days of thunder it was, and, and he, all he'd want was a cup of tea when he got out and he'd chat to, to Alison and, and he'd remember my daughter's name and my, my, my boy and all the crew and yeah, he, he just, it was it was light entertainment for him to get him out of the supercar garage, you know, come down to, to our, little, um, our little garage before each event. Um, he missed one round, they had a, he had a media commitment and um, at one stage there, they tried to stop him from doing the final race. I can't remember it was um, I can't remember the names of the Holden PR guys, but they were pretty ruthless. Um, they wouldn't let him. Um, it was starting to get a bit serious, you know. And because he continued to, uh, he wanted to finish the race with the front tire absolutely steel cords and sparks coming off it. Still doing, you know, 180 kilometres an hour. Um, I don't think they were real happy with that. Uh, but yeah. um, in the end, he did the final and had a ball, and yeah, we got heaps of PR out of it. They built a model car. Yeah, they did. Uh, yeah, yeah, for him. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Didn't do it one for me, but. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can get one of those zero fives and slap a forty six across the side of it to. Uh, I tell you what, I got I got two of them and I'm thinking of doing it. Yeah, well, <laughs> you can have a zero five and a forty six. You can have the the matching pair. It's probably a nice little segue that uh, you started the five liter. Well, it wasn't called V eight supercars at that point, but it was V eight touring cars um, with an XHRT car. You you bought an X Brock car, which you referred to earlier as as Beth, which is the the name that it was yeah. given when it was was built at HRT. So I guess really this, it was the sponsors who kind of went, this Oscar NASCAR thing sort of on the slide, we want you to go into to V8s. Was that kind of the, the push that got you into what became V8 Supercars? Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it was funny. We were, we were it, was, it was midweek. We were out at Colder on the Thunderdome. We were testing. We had the brand-new um, Monte Carlo, so 95. Yeah, late, late 95, early 96, and brilliant car. And I, I gave, um, I think it was Sean Henschel Wood or whatever, the media guy, yeah, yeah. a couple of laps and might have even been Paul Gover as well. And and we always like to give him a bit of a crack on something new. It was good PR for us. And, and anyway, the, the HRT transporter was in the middle of the Thunderdome and they were doing practice starts with Lounsey with the old, um, you know, the cable tie deal they had going, yeah, you know, yeah, with yeah. The, the throttle percentage and all that shit. And I was more interested in that, you know. I'd done a few laps and times were good, so you know, I didn't want to do anything serious with it. So I wandered over there and 
took um, my sponsors, one of my sponsors with me and um, next minute him and Gretch are having a chat and I'm more interested in what Lowndes is doing and and uh, yeah, it was like the following week, sponsor dropped uh, into JFR and said, come for a drive. So jumped in, drove up to HRT, walked in the shop. There's Gretch and I um, can't remember her, I think it was Krusty, um, Richard Holloway. Uh, yeah, we're kicking tyres and looking at buying this, you know, one of their cars, which was Beth. Um, it was shiny white, still had half a line, you know, emblem on it. And, um, my first real decent looking set in it. And so they made it happen. Yeah, it was a, a financial arrangement and, you know, we had to take a certain amount of stuff with it. But, um, yeah, obviously, you know, no money, no car, but. Our sponsors were prepared to take the next step. They were getting a bit delusioned with Thunderdome, you know, the television had swapped, you know, um, to, as you said, non-commercial stations, SPS. Um, Cummins were getting disappointed and wanted to move on a bit. Um, so, yeah, we the decision was really made for me that we could do both for a while. We could run supercar and the selected rounds but particularly they wanted to do Bathurst and because Better Electrical um, you know had like 200 stores around Australia it was a good fit good network um, nice clean racing uh, it was national so we went everywhere with it and they bought the car um, it cleaned our budget out we had no money but we had a shiny new car and uh yeah, I think we paid for it first and then they said, right, oh, well, next week come out to Calder and we'll, we'll bring Lounsey out and uh, we'll, we'll run, run it through, bring your engineer with you and a couple of guys. So we took the JFR transporter out there and the HRT truck was on in pit lane. We They dropped the tailgate and out came the car. It had forked on the, on the rear window as you as they do, and um, Lowndes jumps in, warms it up, does, I don't know, 10 laps or something. Oh, it just look, looked and sounded fantastic. And everyone was excited. We had all the top dogs there from our sponsors. And um, then it was my turn, you know. It was like, talk about pressure. <laughs> I'd never driven, you know, six-speed and, you know, crash box and all that stuff. And I couldn't believe how quick they revved, you know, they just. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I jumped in and a bit of a chat from from uh, Holloway and and Lounsey. It was a bit of a larrikin then. I knew him well anyway. And, um, yeah, I, I pussyfooted around for five laps, came in, asked a few questions. Oh, I said, you know, how am I going? They go, no, no, you're going really good, you know. And so out for another five laps, then they dragged me in and said, all right, that, that's great. I think, you know, um, I think you're going you're going good enough now. And Lounsey stuck his head through the window and said, mate, you're only two tenths off me. Um, well done, you know. So 
that just fired up all my sponsors straight away. Like it was like, wow, you two tents off. So they wined and dined on that story for a few weeks. <laughs> and I got the data and saw where he was quicker, um, which was just breaking commitment. The rest was pretty much the same. It was almost like an overlay. So, And I loved it. Uh, we sat it in the shop and, um, yeah, just looked at it. Couldn't afford to do anything to it. <laughs> <laughs> it we pretty. still had NASCAR commitments. You know, we were running, well, later on, we were running the supercar and the NASCAR on the same weekend. You know, we were helicoptered back and forth to the tracks and, you know, by Bob Jane and Jim Richards and, you know, Bradley Jones, we were, we were at a leg in each camp, you know. Am I right in remembering that you'd actually acquired somehow the, the wreck of the Truckee Parsons car from Bathurst the year before? But uh, was that kind of on the radar to use that and then the HRT deal popped up? Or Yeah, yeah, that was um, that was a bit of a pipe dream. I was down at Lowry's and saw the thing there and asked what, was, what they were going to do with it. And they said, oh, look, it's... Yeah, you'd have to cut the cage and we'll have to do this. And we had a full fab shop because with a NASCAR, you know, you needed all that shit. We could, you know, we could have, we could have built a Gen 3 car type thing. We had all the gear to fix shit, not, not panels and painting. We weren't into that stuff, but yeah, absolutely machining, fabricating. Um, we're well, we're well set up. So, I, I can't remember how much I paid for the thing or whether the Larry even gave it to me. You know, I know it was a lot of advice and a suggested method of how to repair it. And and it just sat on a, tro- it sat on a trolley at JFR and we looked at it again for six or seven months, you know, um, not even knowing where to do the first cut and, and didn't have the money to do anything to it anyway. So it was just parked. Um, a turnkey shiny VR, you know, HRT car was, um, you know, outweighed everything else and every vision that, you know, I ever had. So, um, hard to beat that. That's pretty cool. Oh, we just couldn't. I just couldn't wait to, I didn't even know where we were going to drive at first. I think our first planned event was, you know, a brief run at, um, Bathurst it was like a media day or something, uh, or a touring the, car round. Touring, it was the sprint touring car round, and I think you just practiced it and you you put it away and, and didn't race it until Phillip Island. So no, nah, no, nah, I lunched the engine. Oh, that's why, <laughs> big time. Oh, big oh time. no, not a good way well, to start. It was um, well, we'd we'd lent it to um, yeah, we'd lent it to Holden. Um, well, Brock had had to run it at Sandown uh, because That's, he had yeah. uh, been uh, had a crash at Eastern Creek in the first round, and I think they came back to you and said, "Oh, we need to lease your car back off you for a weekend for Brock." Yeah, yeah, memories vague about that. I I was pissed off that they were going to do it. Um, I didn't get the call. I can't remember. I think it was a sponsor got. They went. <laughs> they're too scared to ask me. Um, I wasn't going to let it out of the shop, and and anyway, it was. There was a deal done behind the door with uh, Crennan and Gretsch to, to, to take the car back for Sandown, for Brock. We'd already done a bit of fettling on it at JFR, and, you know, a few little knickknacks we didn't like, and we, but we didn't want to change it. And um, the instructions when we got the car was, you know, like, just just 
scammy it, wash it, don't don't duck with it, don't touch it. It's you got a fast car, you know, go and win some races. And they gave it back. They yeah, the truck arrived and I thought, Oh shit, I'm gonna go to Sandown, I'm gonna watch this and of course, you know, I think he ran he was up in the up the front third and I was all happy and, you know, I thought it was really good and then I think it was Cito or something put him in the fence. Yeah, he got a little tap from Seaton at the last corner that put him in the, yeah. the wall, yeah. yeah. Not not a lot of damage, but I was pissed off. Yeah. And anyway, we got the car back a few weeks later after they – I said, look, you know, I want it repaired properly. So it arrived back and I lifted the bonnet and there's all the – looks like someone got bloody hammer and hammered the inner guard out and no paint on it. Shiny new headlight, new bonnet, new bumper, all that shit. But, you know, it was just a shit job. And I thought, oh, that's – here we go. You know, I heard about the HRT promises and, you know, here's the first one, open the bonnet and it just looked like a shonky repair. Um, anyway, we we got the thing together and prepped it, signed, wrote it, um, Got to Bathurst, unloaded it, had a big crowd around the truck. You know, it's all sort of better electrical and, you know, look, 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 looked a million bucks. And the first thing they do is they take the tyres off me. No bridge stones. Go, uh, what? Yeah, this is the open tyre era where it's not controlled. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and I, they go, Mort's there and he goes, oh, I've got to take them back, Jay. I'm sorry, mate. Um, oh. Jesus. So I had to go and bloody suck old Russell and get some Dunlops and, you know. Russ, yeah, Russell Stuckey, who was the, the Dunlop guy yeah, for a long, a long time. Yeah, couldn't. He was rubbing his hands and I thought, oh, shit, you know. It, it just – so we bolted them on, all shiny new, and I went out and oh, I couldn't steer the thing. The, thing, the steering was so heavy. I thought Brock was, must have been a hero to be able to drive it because when I drove it on Bridgestone, the steering was normal. Mm. You know, stiff but normal, no power steer. But up there, Bathurst, like fully loaded down through the dip at Griffin's, um, un- undrivable, was pointing at the fence every lap, was shocking. And I've arrived at Skyline just about touching the limiter and then it just exploded. It just, you know, oil and smoke and shit, and I went down that escape road and nearly fenced it and gathered it all up and rolled to a halt, and that was it. The rod had come up through the thing and broke the camshaft and smashed into the head. But prior to that, the gearbox had wore a hole in the hand, so Brock had obviously stuffed all the dogs on the gearbox at Sandown, and they hadn't looked at that, and... Um, I was sort of warned he was hard on the gearbox or hard on the gear. And obviously the engine must have had an over-rev or something, but that was stuffed. And so we, we went hat in hand to HRT and Gret said, oh, mate, you know, look, uh, we don't have another engine. And how about you just park it and we'll um, – I said, mate, but the gearbox is stuffed. I said, everything, I said, it's a shit repair. So we had a bloody good sit-down argument and – I wasn't real happy with it all. But anyway, it got all fixed. We all got, got back to Melbourne and it was all forgotten and, you know, the repair was done properly and a fresh engine and a, the gearbox was, um, you know, redone and a new tail shaft and 
some brake pads and a few spares came our way and a lot more help, you know. Just mm. they appreciated our little deal. What what the deal was with my sponsors, I have no idea. They probably gave them a fridge or something or a washing machine <laughs> or, or, or I don't know. Whatever um, it was, it got a bit of love. That's it how I got go. the number. You know, I wanted my 46 and I can't remember who had it. Some Queenslander guy might have had it, 46, and it was my cart number and my lucky number. And so they, um, I think they you know, threw a fridge and a washing machine to get that at that bloke. And so I got the 46, so I was happy, you know. Yeah, job done. Job done. It's amazing what some white goods will do when you're trying to get some uh, get some stuff done in in life and in and in motorsport. And that year, mate, was you did end up getting Bridgestones eventually. Um, yeah. You put it in the top ten shootout at Bathurst, which I think you still talk about um, so passionately and lovingly at that moment, where your car, your team had two minutes and twenty of television time, which was crucial to a a privateer one car team like yours. You were up there with the with HRT and Dick Johnson Racing and Larry's team and all those big teams that were in the top 10 every year to do that single-car lap. Does that lap in – I mean, you did some cool stuff. You won the Privateers' Cup. You ran top five at Bathurst with Win Percy. You were a – you know, you punch – I mean, it's an old saying, I know, but you punch well above your weight for that little team that you had there in, in Oakley. Is that shootout lap that you did at Bathurst in 96, that's the thing I reckon – I've heard you talk about it a lot. Is that your highlight from your, your time in V8s or particularly in that, that first era before, you know, the, the cars moved along to the to the VTs and the, the whole next era? Oh, look, you know, yeah, you've, you've got it right on it. Um, even now with, you know, social media and, you know, have all got phones and shit, you know, um, every now and then someone throws that video at me and, yeah, I just... Yeah, um, I can't even remember my emotions prior to it. I think we were half fast leading up to, you know, just from from getting there and running the car, and we had um, good good bunch of weekend warriors. No one really full time, and I had some help from Les. He was super competitive, dude, and 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 still, yeah, lots still of is, still is. Yeah, yeah, just you know, um, and, and I think he knew I could deliver um, from Moscow NASCAR days. But um, yeah, he just felt like he was on on my side. You know, he had all the little knickknacks, and um, Harrington was, um, you know, he'd race there with. Uh, They'd won at Sandown with Perkins, you know, back in the mm. early 90s. And when we were all down there, you know, um, using secondhand tea bags with no money, you know, Harrington scraped the deal to get Perkins money to, to for Bob J money to win a race. So we were a bit the same. We had no money. We didn't want to wear the car out and practice or, or, or anything like that. And, and I just... I think I was talking to Les and my sponsors and a few other guys and I was getting asked all these questions about making the shootout and what would you do different and and I remember saying, you know, I, I'd have a go, you know. I, I was just sick of being, you know, a class runner and, and um, you know, here's my chance, you know, uh, car's good, I can't say I haven't got a good engine, a good good chassis. And um, 
I remember going out on a on a shiny set of Bridgestones that were just, you know, they were dancing all over the, my first new set. But we never got the good, good tyres. We had steer tyres. Bridgestone had a drive tyre and a steer tyre. And, and this was a Seton thing, and apparently Seton had a front Bridgestone that was different to the rear Bridgestone. And anyway, we were getting our lot of, allotment of privateer tyres were because I was still classed as privateer then um, with steer ties, so I got four steer ties, not steer and drive. So I was a bit disadvantaged by it. But the feeling I got leaving pit lane and going up the hill for the first time was the grip. I couldn't believe the grip um, turned into the cutting on the warm up and the thing nearly two wheeled. So yeah, I just had a really big go. Um, and was rewarded by, I couldn't believe the time on the dash, you know, and I couldn't really hear what the guys were yelling out out the radio, but it was, um, yeah, big, big committed lap from me. Um, and I always drove knowing that we couldn't afford to crash, which was half my problem right throughout my career. Never had any rich dad supporting me or any money to fall back on. Had a mortgage in a family like everyone else, so I couldn't start throwing shit away, you know. Mm. Well, you but you, I could take risks. Well, you threw a two twelve point one in that shootout. I'm just looking at the times here. A tenth off Wayne Gardner, three tenths off Brock. Um, Seaton had pole. He was electric that day. But the guys, you you were sixth in the top ten shootout as a privateer. The next guys in the queue: Perkins, Longhurst, Scaife, Dick Johnson. You got on top of a couple of good blokes there in the way that all rolled out. I know it, um, it's something uh, that, uh, yeah, you're right. People do wheel it out on YouTube here and there, and hopefully uh, going forward they keep wheeling it out because it was a great lap and a, a really cool moment of, of Bathurst history where, where a privateer was able to get up there and, and run with the big boys. So if we just fast forward a little bit, JF, through the, the supercar stuff, obviously better Fisher and Pike Cal, that VS Commodore was a great car for you for – for a couple of years, and then the VT came along. Um, then it probably got a bit harder because I think that's when kind of Better and Fisher and Pykel, that that sponsorship dropped away, and you had a bit of a nude car there for a while, and things got harder. But the sport was getting bigger. So the, you know, I guess that the, the, well, they were franchises then. They call them racing entitlement contracts now. That could help keep you ticking while you were trying to do the one-off deals here and there. But you ended up in a in an era kind of 99, 2000, 01, where it was getting tough, wasn't it? it the game was stepping up big time. Yeah, it was um, – I mean, when we first started, you know, there was 55-odd cars at Bathurst, privateers and level ones and twos and that. And um, then it got to the point where it was in a, there was an elite – 26, you know, 13 franchises. I was offered one of them, 97. Um, you know, phone call from Larry Haycock, you know, we're moving up to level one. I said, nah, can't afford it, 10 grand. He said, don't worry about the money. Um, we'll take it out of your winnings. And I didn't realise they were getting winnings. You know, I just thought it was a status symbol, level one. You know, you got better park up, um, Close the garage, the pit, uh, pit exit. So when me and Wynn, uh, you know, finished fourth at Sandown and fifth at Bathurst, that was worth about 80 grand. Oh, where's and this I been? Thought, <laughs> how good is this? <laughs> I said, how long has this been going on? You know? 
Because um, that was the know, start of Avesco, uh, wasn't it, mate? That was when Tony yeah, Cochran yeah, came along. Ninety seven uh, was that big watershed year with Channel yeah. Ten coverage and Avesco, and yeah. it, it all really started to, to to bubble off from there. Yeah, yeah, we were going to earn, um, you know, two fifty a year just turning up. So, you know, uh, Clipsall, you know, another thirty grand. Um, yeah, it, 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 we, we could actually run our car on results. So it was don't crash, finish, you know, and all that sort of stuff. Um, we had um, pretty much free tyres off Bridgestone to a point. Um, we owned our truck. We owned most of our gear. We employed, like, I think I only had Barry Ryan and, like, one other. You know, the rest were, you know, had their own jobs and helped us of a weekend. But, yeah, it, you could do it and then until it got really serious and um, we built our own car and that was $300,000 we didn't have. But we didn't owe any money, didn't have an overdraft and that's the way I wanted to keep it if we couldn't afford it. We were using second-hand rotors and reshaping pads and, you know, fixing wheels and, you know, trying to get uh, engine deals off people, but we never had the power. Um, yeah, we just started to go backwards. You know, if we'd have stuck with Beth and had an engine deal, that was our biggest problem. Uh, once we departed from HRT's engine program, we were out in the wilderness with, you know, Robbie Benson and Parton, a few of those dudes that just didn't quite have the that bath, that last little bit that the top teams had. And always on the radar, we were, you know, four or five K down. And that's all it needed. You know, we're talking hundreds and tenths most of the time. Mm. But we got some good results out of it. And then the money, Federal Electrical's money just wasn't enough to, um, it was a percentage of turnover for Fisher and Paykel. That's how that networking worked. Cummins reduced, although they gave us a truck, you know, um, we had lots of minor sponsors that contribute, but no one ever could contribute enough to make us a serious contender. Um, so Asia Online came along, um, lots of promises, but didn't really eventuate. Um, the next serious money was Dynapack, great company. Um, we went out and bought a whole lot of new bits for the new car, and straight away we get a result at Eastern Creek, uh, a podium and... Um, a bit of help from HRT with an A component and all of a sudden we're up front and I knew exactly what got us there. Mm. What was the component? A steering rack. Right. That's all it was. It was out of out of Brighty's car that no one wanted because the ratio everyone hated, Scape hated, Lounge didn't like it. So they gave it to me because we'd constantly suffered with steering shakes and wobbles and steering locking and binding and all sorts of horrible things. And I just, I'd put up with it for so long, arm pump, and it was the first meeting I rolled out the gate with the new rack, and I remember getting on the radio telling the dudes, I said, man, this seems unbelievable. <laughs> it's just so nice to drive. And the times just came, you know, we were just, just fast every session. And um, our first uh, in-house engine, you know, we'd got a dyno from Dynapack and we'd stolen a guy from HRT engine shop and he'd given us the nod with a few components and so we had good engine. 
first time I'd been on the hard cup at Sydney Motorsport Park in any car, you know, into the straight. So I knew we had some power. I knew we had good handling. Um, Barry Ryan was next to me in the Kmart and flicking me a bit of advice. And <laughs> we had a new we had a new crew chief. Um, who was our crew chief, honey? Then. Peter Turk, yeah, Peter Turk, ex F1 dude. So yeah, a, b- a bunch of new guys, uh, new sponsor, cars looking pretty. No, I was, I had, a, I had a trainer. I think I'd given up the fags. What? You know, everything was in our favour. Holy heck, that was a yeah. big deal. <laughs> it was. <laughs> I remember going to training with Grant Monday, and we'd get out of out of the bloody gym, and there's my trainer sitting on his motorbike having a cigarette. <laughs> This is the last thing I need. So that's, um, so, yeah. that's great. I love that. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out. That Eastern Creek result you talk about was 2002. It was quite early in that year. Um, but at that time, obviously the, the value of franchises was high. Uh, people were looking to acquire one because that was the beauty of it. There's only so many spots on the grid. If you're not in the game, you've got to buy an existing one. You don't get given another one. So I remember were there a few Ford teams romancing you at the time in 01. I remember reading some reports that there was maybe a prancing horse. Some of those other people who were trying to expand existing teams or come in were, were trying to cuddle up. And, of course, they wanted your franchise, really. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. but I, was, I wasn't that nice a bloke, uh, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> What were some of those deals that were put to you at that time that you, you ultimately didn't go along with? Uh, the first was a some guy from Northern Territory, some cattle man, some wanker, who just wanted to, you know, buy fifty one percent of the team. Um, no motorsport background, didn't really want to tell me much about him, but he persisted and almost down to the point where I'd signed, um, and I backed out of that at the last minute. Uh, we had John Briggs trying to you know, get across the line with Bow, you know, me and Bow drive together and, you know, a lot of that sort of stuff. Um, Stone Brothers um, had a seat fitting. Not not many people know that. I was going to say that that was to drive with Ambrose at Bathurst after Greg Crick had uh, had stepped out after Queensland. So you turned down a chance to drive with Marcus Ambrose at Bathurst for Stone Brothers because you wanted to stay... I presume loyal to your team and and your guys and your crew. Yeah, I um, I went back on the fags that night. I, I went <laughs> I, I went up there and I sat in the car and, and Jimmy Stone's buddy, you know, cuddling me and Ross is doing the sales pitch and Ambrose is you know like, and I fitted the car really well. We we could have been an in and out, you know, easy changeover and and I love their always love their engineering and being Kiwis. You know, I thought, oh, this is you know, this is this is probably the best chance, apart from driving with Peter Brock or something, that I was ever going to have. And by that stage, you know, we were 
we were running on car signatures on our car and donations and, um, you know, signs on our car saying, you know, do you want the space? And we were down to the dregs. You know, we were just run out of dough and, and it was very, very tempting. Um, I was getting a lot of pressure from their PR guy ringing me and, you know, I'm trying to all make it work. But I mentioned it to Alison and a couple of the crew and then it sort of got back and there was almost going to be a mutiny. So I realised that, you know, um, JFR was a pretty tight-knit team and I just couldn't do it. Couldn't Couldn't walk away and do that. So, um, you know, politely declined. Um, but they were still flooding in, you know. I had Gretsch wanting coffees and Crennan meetings and, you know, they'd asked me to run Todd Kelly, you know, Wynn Percy, you know. They were grooming me. Uh, I was no idiot, you know. I was – Gretsch had arrived down there with half a dozen rotors and boxes of new pads and, you know – a well-funded team. They had a lot of surplus, a lot of testing stuff. It was keeping us going. Mm. But I knew there was going to be a payday. There had to be, you know, there was going to be a point where I was going to get asked the hard question and I had no idea what it would be. I knew it would be some sort of buyout, but I didn't really, I wasn't ready to give up. I hadn't hadn't won a race. I'd, I'd, a couple of podiums at Indy where no one turned up, no surfboard, no media bullshit and getting home in the dark and I thought, you know, I'm never ever going to get the recognition for some of the results that I got and it was the peer, just the pressure of all that um, they came to me and said, hey um, we don't want to buy your team, we don't want to lease your team we want to use your, your team um, because they're not allowed to run Factory teams only had to run more than two cars, and they found a way around the rules um, within supercars to, you know, run a run a satellite team, which was either going to be like a Team Brock or Kmart Racing, I think, who who they initially wanted it for uh, a license. Because at that stage, I think there was thirteen, and which meant twenty six cars. Yeah, it was, a, that was yeah, from my memory. Yeah, yeah. Kmart Racing was yeah. a thing as their second team at Clayton alongside HRT. But I think it was there yeah. was a franchise deal with Bap Romano that was going to yeah. end, so they needed something yeah. to underpin those cars. And yeah. you had a, you yeah. know, you were a level one license holder that they yeah. identified. There was with. a few. There was Forbes and and you know the lounge thing trying to happen, and no one had the licenses though. So they're all Team Kiwi, you know, the ring. Um, but uh, Tickford dude ringing me, um, and you know, I was rolling out numbers in the millions, and they were just laughing like, oh, you know, <laughs> it was funny. You know, I think the only one that didn't ring was Roland Dane. You know, like they they all wanted, they all thought JF was going out the back door at a hundred mile an hour, and my franchise would be on marketplace or something. You know, like it was just <laughs> going to be one of those deals. And that was the furthest thing from my mind. My loyalty was HRT because they'd mentioned, hey, why don't you, you know, like, why don't you just um, run the whole Young Lions, you know? 
if you want to run a couple of young guys. And, and I really enjoyed running, you know, the young guys. Um, I think I ran, um, you know, Todd Kelly and, 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 and Bates and just a few young guys, but Stevie Owen, a few test days, you know. Um, yeah, just I like the idea of it and the pressure of me driving. I'd driven enough, you know, I, I could have walked away, but still wanted to be involved in it, but not necessarily drive. I could co-drive. They said, all right, we'll throw in a co-drive with Kmart, second car. Um, <clears throat> so I did the deal, you know, I did. Um, so what was the it was a no It was a no-money deal. Oh, no cash. What? Neville no, Bartos no would cash. be horrified. No cash for no JS, cash. mate. No cash. So what was the deal was, at the end of 02? So uh, walk away, um, keep your cars for the young lines. We'll supply you engines, uh, sub-assemblies, and any help you need. We've got a surplus of parts. We're always building new cars. Um, we'll blood some drivers through you, you know, um, some guys I've got in line. Um, it's a legit way you can do it. Um, you'll be able to test with us. All we want is use, not in those words, because I'm duty-bound not to tell you exactly those words. Alan Brown put the deal together, um, Cranon. And it was a way around supercars. They could run, effectively run four cars. But the stick in the mud was O'Reilly. You know, he just had a thing for HRT and, um, you know, he wasn't going to let it happen. And this is Kelvin O'Reilly from Tiger, yeah. who was ex-Toker Super Touring yep. before that. Yep. Yeah, that dude. Um, yeah, just just put a knife through everything we tried to do. Um, and look, I didn't have an enemy in the world. You know, Caddick and and um, all them were helping me. Tony Cocky was helping me. Um, they were all trying to support and get me a deal and keep me running. And and uh, you know, we had Barry Sheen in our truck all the time down there for a fag and chat. And <laughs> you know, we just were a little group. Ali make them all a coffee and a toasted sandwich. But it just got to the point where we needed money to run and keep running, and they were there with, you know, here's the here's the white flag. Come and come and have a co-drive with the Kmart, best car you'll ever get in. Um, run the young lines, go to Queensland, uh, do what do what you you know you want to do with it, and it all looked really good, and it all. So I'm there with a, a hat on at Kmart, being there pseudo-manager, and Kelvin O'Reilly could see right through it. Um, all the other teams hated us because it was, it was just a loophole they'd used. Um, and it was in writing, and Kelvin O'Reilly just made it a mission to make it go away or dissolve. Um, and I think the other teams were pretty much they thought, well, if JF's team is not there, then that's the biggest slice of pie for us. So there was no sympathy whatsoever from uh, anyone else. So, it, yeah, look, it went along like that for a little while. I just kept going to the meetings as the, you know, with Rob Crawford and, and you know, the super came up manager going to the briefings and, you know, it was a crock of shit. It really was. And it turned... But it, it, 
what it, it it's it, it we just have to follow it to the letter of the law and and keep on the right side of uh, Caddick and O'Reilly and do no wrong and then uh, I think the what started it was uh, John Kelly that's the Kelly's kid's dad wanted to buy the franchise. Because Walkinshaws had collapsed overseas, so Holden yes. had secured yep. HRT and Kmart. With a manufacturer couldn't own a team, so they had to handball yep. off. Scaife ended up with HRT. The Kellys bought yep. Kmart, and then wasn't yep. it for Queensland Raceway on the eve of that round that the the Kellys, uh, well, Bob Forbes's team, Double O Motorsport, had still been going. Lowndes had left to go to FPR. Yep. Um, so that's how Kmart acquired the double O, the Bob Forbes franchises from memory to underpin their entries. And in the whole shuffle, your licenses were still there, but without a car attached to them to run at Ipswich. Is that, that was yeah, that and out? no money. Oh. And no money. It was, it was the biggest cock up. Um, or, I mean, I, I just couldn't get up that early in the morning to, to, to think the way some of these dudes think. Um, these team owners, uh, you know, to get what they want. And, you know, we had a deal on the table with Kelly, very reasonable deal, but obviously he had other irons in the fire. He was dealing with Forbes, um, playing me against him, but not not telling me. I just thought whoever I sat down with was going to do the deal. You know, it was pretty simple. I'm a simple guy, you know, shake hands on it. Don't need a piece of paper. And it sort of went ahead and I ended up, uh, I think ended up, the Kmart and the Forbes thing happened and I ended up doing a deal with the Team Brock, which was Key's wheel, had stepped in. They were going to run... Yeah, Peter Brock or Team Brock. Mm, yep. So he 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 became he jumped into the bidding war, and in between all this, um, we get a phone call off O'Reilly saying you're going to have to run your two cars at Queensland Raceway. And at that stage, they were holding Young Lion cars, and one was complete and one was in the panel shop. So he did give me the heads up that he said it had turned to shit. You know, Kelly had got Forbes and Forbes would need your tyres and your tyre bank. You remember in those days, mm. you had to have your tyre bank? No, you couldn't roll your car out unless... They were attached to the franchise. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So somehow JF's signature got on a piece of paper without JF signing it and tyres rolled out and I'm... Next minute, I got a media guy at Queensland Raceway going, "Oh, you've just been fined three hundred thousand dollars." Can't remember who told me. I wasn't even in the meeting. It was a media guy. Can't remember. Could have been John Evans, uh, the late saw. AA reporter. Yep, lovely guy. We miss him yeah, a lot. Rest yeah, in peace. Yep, lovely guy. Was always on our side. Um, gave me the heads up and said, "Got the word of just." They called it liquidated liquidated damages, whatever that meant. So that was one hundred and fifty for each per car. car. So total of three hundred. Yep. 
because in yep. the merry-go-round of uh, franchises changing hands that were underpinning cars on the track, you kind of ended up with your franchises back in your hand but no cars ready to run. And if you didn't I present a car, you got you got fined. I ended up with my dick in my hand, honestly. They, they, they screwed me over completely. We tried. Holden, Gretz rang and said, oh, look, you know, we can borrow Lansvale. has got a spare car and... JR's on his way here and he'll he'll drive the second car. All you gotta do is a lap and a half and then, you know, you won't get you know, everything will be fine, you know, we'll 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 look after you and and um the the, the dean head of Holden, I can't remember his name, small guy, um he said, Oh, you know, Holden's got deep pockets, mate. We'll you know, don't worry about it, JF, we'll sort it all out, you know, I'm really sorry it's happened and it was just turning to shit in front of my eyes, you know, and I thought I was on top of the world. I'm in Queensland, you know, I'm fishing, I've got young lions, I've got dads queued up with money wanting their kids to drive. Like, I mean, your Caruso's, your Delberto's, good, good, fast kids, you know. Um, good gear, lot to look forward to, and I got this dumped on my lap. Um, 300 grand, thanks. Um, in a trust, bang. Or you don't go any further. No... Young lions, no racing, no nothing. So there was no appealing it. There was just so I had to put three hundred into into a trust. Can't remember who and where with the Visco. Um, I'd just been given a bag of money by Keys to buy my licences. So basically, just pulled it out of that bag, and it sat there. I think for. I think it took three years to get it back. Mm. And um, it was never really – Holden never really owned up to that. They ended up sponsoring the Konica series. That was – they refused Now, that's an interesting pay. one. That was the Holden Performance Driving Centre that backed what is now Super 2 in 05. But that yep. was – because it was a very weird deal. It was a one-off deal. came out of the blue yep. – so that was all connected to, to that. I'm surprised you know about this. <laughs> oh, I've got my ways. Surprised. got my ways. <laughs> so what was the deal there? So that was part of the, the trade-off of it all, was it? Yeah, but they, to save faith, they, they refused. They, they, they just didn't want O'Reilly to win, you know. It was flat out, simple as that, in Caddy. That was, they weren't paying them nothing. So a deal was done that that 300 went towards the, the, the development series. So somehow it was shuffled in at, win, at the Winton round it started. Um, and, yeah, it all just, you know, I still um, didn't get my money back. Um, and so we went and saw um, Brown and Co., you know, through Gary Rogers. Jeff Brown, yep. Jeff Brown, he was, he was awesome. He did a, you know, freebie for me. And said, you know, you're going to get 10% compounding interest, you know, um, go the full hog. So we just kept arguing with whoever was in control of Holden. I think it was Ray Borat, then it was, you know, it was John Stevens, Ray Borat, then it was McDamara. You know, they're all duck shoving this 300 grand. And Alison, my wife, was just, you know, she's. Full, full on CSI. She wasn't going to let it go. <laughs> CSI. 
and uh, she got to the bottom of it, got all the dirty laundry and made the phone call. Next minute they flew up, bought us a shitty lunch and paid us a 360 grand, 10, 300 with interest. So um, I never really went to a meeting after that. I just felt, you know, I'd been hard done by. I felt uh, I got a lot of depression, anxiety over it. I just didn't want to... Like I was going to, the, I went to a couple of race meetings. Morris asked me to drive. As soon as I was available, oh, JF, you know, you and me, mate, you know, how good's this? Uh, I got on good with the dude. and um, But I just I just didn't like being at the meetings. You know, you, all the guys that you thought were your friends and your team owners all just wanted your slice of pie. They wanted your 300 grand. They didn't want to best go to give it back. They wanted to divide it up mm. because I didn't turn up with two cars. But they knew it was out of my control, but there was no sympathy. Uh, and and well, I guess we should point out to the listeners that the reason why there was a fine system in place when franchises came in, it was to make – because back in the day, you didn't have to do all the races. It was just go whenever you no. wanted, wherever. But th- this was a commitment. If you owned a slice of the pie, that meant that as a level one, you went to a mall. I think at level two, you'd – went to 80% of them or whatever it was, and level three could do whatever they wanted to do. So yeah. if that was the trade-off. That If you were going to get paid, you had to turn up and perform. That's where that all came from. And, of course, you ended up in a, a weird sort of situation of how that unfolded. But just for the background, that's why there were they, – they weren't putting – you know, they didn't just decide a fine on your head. That was already there. If you had a franchise and you didn't run a car, then there was a, a penalty for it. So it kept everyone – racing and they didn't pick and choose what they wanted to do along the way. That's why it was there. Yeah, except the difference was I'd already moved out of the category, rebadged two cars as whole and young lines, moved premises, um, and then all of a sudden the nightmare was, was evolving in front of me. Prior to that, I'd, I'd, I'd entered um, Paul Dumble at several rounds and didn't turn up. You know, he was either you know, late for school or <laughs> Whatever you know, like he, his name was on the garage at Calypsville two years running and never turned up. You know, it was there was no fine. You know, people were rorting it with you know entering and doing a lap and getting a set of tyres and you know no one had actually been fined. Mm. And I think I just being made the scapegoat, being coming from a privateer into that era with really. Not, not in the big buck league and, and being used as, um, you know, um, for political gain within that group, O'Reilly and Supercars or Vesco or whatever, the whole bunch. It just left a shitty feeling for me and even to this day I don't – I watch it. I'll go if I'm invited and it's corporate, but, I'm, you know, I'm not going to go sniffing around the bloody pits and – you know, hanging on to, you know, I used to be a driver, used to be a driver. Um, I get my info off um, seeing Barry Ryan do well, you know. Um, keep, you know, I, I follow his career um, because I know it's straight up, no bullshit, you know. So did you, would you reckon tells you, me what's going on. Would you reckon, mate, you lost the love for the sport through that whole the fines and the political stuff and the... The, the stuff Absolutely. with Tiger and liquidation, it just sucked the, the life right out of you. 
Absolutely. They, they, they pleaded with me. Uh, well, 203, it was, a, it was an easy walk up with Morris. I thought, man, this is going to be the best car other than the Ambrose car I'm, I'm ever going to be in. Paul Sepovich, I mean, man, you know, he, he knows how to build a car. And, and you know, I did, did the sand down in the Bathurst with Morris and I hated the car. It vibrated, it made my eyes water. I, I blurred vision. I couldn't read the Motec. It was a piece of shit. And, and Paul was having issues with it. Um, you know, the team manager said, oh, don't bother getting your suit on, mate. It's not even going to do five laps. Well, it did three. And, and it shit itself. It, it had a major technical issue in the drive line. They were doing. They were running some fancy, you know, gearbox alternator deal. I don't know what it, what it was, but I was embarrassed. I wasn't fast in it. I didn't like it, and that really, I couldn't wait to get out of all that deal when it was over. And we didn't, you know, we didn't do anything. And then. Their manager, you know, another only a couple of years later, they were they were running my my young Lions cars with um, Stevie Owen, Gerv, Kulkard, you know, any young guy that was willing to pay. Um, Paul Morris Motorsport would was running them using my car, and they were giving me a little learn out of it. You know, it was it was a good little arrangement, and I got to do what I like doing and that was tutoring and mentoring young new new talent it was great and they talked me back into it they said oh Tim Kiwi mate you know we we need a we need you to drive for them at Bathurst um, in one of our cars with Gurry and would you do that for us and I thought oh, you know, yeah all right, I'll do it just just sand down Bathurst that'll do That'll see me out. I was 54. Um, my last Bathurst, I'd top 10 and safety car screwed us. So same deal again. 10 Kiwi, 54, top 10. Bath, uh, safety car came out and put us a lap down along with six other cars, you know. So should have finished fifth or sixth, but finished 10th. Still at that age, having not been in it full time for what, Five, three years at that point, top ten at Bathurst, yeah. nothing to be sneezed at. So no, and and and, and you and you'd know that I, I probably I think I did the most laps of any driver in the race, double stinted as well. Um, yeah, uh, we were in with a chance till the safety car screwed half a dozen of us, but yeah, no, that, that that's when I realised that. Um, I mean, I think it was, I was talking to Bow in Park Ferme. He said, oh, Jay, if I don't know how you do it, you know, you haven't driven for a couple of years and, you know, you're, you're top 10, you know. How old are you now? And I said, yeah, well, I think I'm about a year younger than you or older. You're a bit pissed off about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, we're, I think we're, both of us were generous about our uh, birth dates. But, um, yeah, no, that was enough for me. Yeah. I thought that was it. Yeah. So, you know, I hanging around Morris's and that, it was, I started doing the Mark Carr thing, you know, just kept me in the sport and, you know, um, getting a sniff of petrol, driving the odd fast car around his track and hanging around with a couple of stunt drivers and, you know, that was, that was me. I was, that was enough. Mm. It kept the, 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 the petrol flowing 
to enough of a degree that it was feeding the – because you did go and do a little bit of racing a couple of years later. Didn't you do some proddy car racing as well? Yeah, yeah, I always did that. I, I, we built a car for that at Aitken in 99 and we won. We won it outright. The three-hour at Bathurst, didn't it, HSV? Yeah, yeah. Flogged them. Um, our own car built in our own shop. Um, yeah, just just loved it. I drove his Porsche the year before, um, podium that, loved it. Um, and then the opportunity come, I think McLeod and Morris had built a Falcon GT um, for Mick Benton, and I, I'd cancelled my licence then. I'd, you know, I'd, I, I was, yeah, I was concerned then, you know, I, I was struggling a bit. I was riding bikes and the fitness wasn't quite there and, you know, back on the smokes again and I thought, oh, gee, I just got to get out of this rut. So I started, you know, getting getting myself together and uh, Ryan and Morris said, hey, look, um, come and drive this car at Sandown. Um, and, uh, yeah, went and had the had the medical check and they said, um, yeah, look, we're not sure. We think there's something wrong with you, but, you know, you, the possibility you might have some cancer there. and You know, we can't find it, but we'll, we've done the tests. And anyway, just we'll keep an eye on it. So they gave me another licence and I went down to Sandown and, and had an absolute ball. We put it up the front row, led it for a while, led the race. Um, the usual heavy falcon, you know, no tyres and no brakes up, ten laps. <laughs> but you know, and Mick was a great guy and a gentleman driver, and let me do all the, you know, take all the fanfare, and I, I just loved it again, you know. And, and since then, I had a had a, a son, you know, we rented a Hyundai off Macro and had a had an Enduro at Winton, loved it, fifty cars. Dyson was Slady and Morris and 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 Gride, you know, just. Yeah, it's just the kind of racing I enjoyed. Um, and I don't know whether many know, but, you know, the cancer was confirmed. Um, they said it had been there, like, probably 10 years. It was like a, you know, a golf ball in the lung. Right. So um, that was why I had a bit of wheezing, you know, cut the fags out and all that stuff. and riding push bikes and people to hear me coming I was bloody wheezing away in, in, in the peloton you know and so uh, yeah it, it took five years and till I could see it and then yeah ripped the lung out and um, yeah I hopefully got it all and so I went and uh, got my license again <laughs> as you do well, um, once a racer, always a racer. Yeah, and uh, yeah, just to add to the story, um, you know, when was it, Bob? Last year, this year, last year, um, diagnosed with prostate cancer. Oh, we've got a bit yeah. of a thing going in motor racing, people, at the moment yeah. with this, unfortunately. Yeah. So um, I rang. Oh, well, talked to Bow and. Mate, it's not all that bad. Don't worry about it. You know, I went to a, a, a John French's birthday at ninety and saw Bartlett. Oh, yeah, I've had mine out. You know, there's a amount of people that have had it, got over it. You know, um, I was fortunate that 
you know, it hadn't gone too far, but, you know, get it in and rip it out. And, you know, there's no, I didn't want any chemo and shit like that. I didn't have any chemo with my lung cancer. So I was right on that edge of not, not needing it. And to be honest, I've never had a day sick with either cancer. Never, never knew I had it. Wow. Um, no symptoms. Not an inkling. You know, not even a hint. No, nothing at all. Wow. Um, PSA reading every year because um, paranoid, you know, a couple of mates have died from it. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, just, yeah, that's no, it's all bullshit. Unless you, you know, get a finger in a bum, you're not going to know. Yeah, it's probably a good little chance for us to – I've said it on this podcast before with, with other people who found themselves in this – well, prostate cancer has sort of been the, the one that's popped up of late. Go and get a check. Go and get the blood test. Go and see your doc. It's it's yeah. a small, quick, easy thing. It's, you know, well, I think park the pride. Not park the pride. Pleasant. No, no, but it's uh, park the pride <laughs> because – um, it it doesn't matter. It, it's a two second thing, and you know, for, for two seconds or two minutes of your life to deal with what you got to do with that, it's not a horrendous, terrible thing. That the, the upside of staying alive for 20, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 more years is is far more uh, worthwhile. So anyone who's not sure, I think they say if you're forty or over, go and get your your PSA, which is through a blood test. Um, it's a simple blood test. They just test to keep it look for that rather than look for other things than when they're, they're searching blood tests. So uh, if you make it a, a regular thing yearly, you can keep an eye on it and keep on top of it if it does um, pop up. So a little bit of a, I guess, a community service announcement for, <laughs> for, yeah, the, for the yeah, podcast. Yeah, well, um, just, just read the other day, um, you know, Crompo, same same thing, you know, it, and, it, and Bell probably made everyone aware of it because he's got a large following on social media. Um, but it's the ones that don't. It's the ones that just think, oh, no, I'm all right. I, you know, I don't have the symptoms. And, you know, um, yeah, to, to, to a blood test isn't necessarily, you know, what I'm pushing for is, you know, you've got to have the, the digital manual. <laughs> the dig- that's what <laughs> detected. Yeah. That's, the, that's what detected me. I've, mm. I've been on a, under an oncologist with my lungs for, five or six years and I get PSA every time I see him and he said, oh, no, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. But I wasn't fine. Mm, mm. You know, yeah, until I go to up, a guy that likes him to work, mm. you know. Mm. Um, you know, they, it took two seconds to say, hey, something's wrong, Jack. Mm. And, and then he's dead right. So I'm not saying you're going to run out and get a finger up your bum, but <laughs> certainly <laughs> – you know, a blood test is a start, but yeah. don't rely on it. No, God it's, it's better than nothing, but it's, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, keep an eye on it. Be aware. And, I, you know, if there's any good to come out of people in the, the sport and our, our listeners who are keen followers of the sport who um, hopefully it makes some, some people go, oh, actually, I'll, I will keep an eye on that and I will go and get that followed up on. It's uh, it's definitely worth doing. Jay, if we're nearly finished, I've got the National Motor Racing Museum Couch Racer questions to come, which I reckon you might have scanned read some of these. And if you didn't, uh, on socials when they were being sent in. I know Alison, your wife, definitely probably has. Um, I mentioned before about the museum because your uh, 86 class-winning Bathurst Corolla that was the same car that crashed in 87 is in the museum. It's a permanent display. I think it was donated to the museum back in the day by the by the Toyota team. It's open six days a week, not on Tuesdays. Don't go to the museum at Bathurst on a Tuesday because <laughs> no one will be there to let you in through the front door, but they do a wonderful job of uh, keeping Australian motor racing history alive. 
So these are the questions, JF, that the punters have sent in, the fans of the sport. We call them the couch racer questions. Uh, and Darren's got a good question here, and I forgot to mention this earlier, but I kind of left it up my sleeve. How did you, And I kind of know the answer, but you can tell the story. How did you come to enter your V8 supercar in an Ararat hill climb in Victoria at One Tree Hill? And having been there and seen it, you were shaking after that run up the hill in a V8 supercar. But how on earth did you bring your Bathurst car a month later to a hill climb? It, it does, it's not the norm these days. I could have sworn it was either you or your dad or someone from the Ballarat-like car club that asked me up there. I'm not guilty. I'm not, I'm I'm not, not guilty. sure. <laughs> I th- well, it might have been your dad <laughs> I because, I mean, been. I was a hill climb freak. I loved them and I always used to preach that you couldn't do it on cold tyres, you know, you're never going to do it sort of thing. But, yeah, they made it sound easy. And, and I think um, Alison and, and Natalie Lowndes were, you know, we were, we were all knocking around together and we thought, hey, let's have a fun weekend up there. Barry Ryan was, oh, yeah, I'll take the missus up, you know, we'll, we'll go to the local pub. And so we we rolled into the track and, yeah, there's not much parking there for a 65-foot-long <laughs> Pantech with a supercar in it. So we, we pushed a few trees out of the way and, and set up camp and had a couple of runs. And um, I think the hype with the PA and the crowd and, um, you know, they were um, they said, hey, you got a, half a chance at the outright record here, like you're close. Um, I said, look, I, you know, tyres are too cold. And then someone read the rule book and said, Gee, you, you've got, I think it's a minute or two minutes to stage before you actually have to leave the line. And I think it was Barry Ryan said, oh, right, we'll get the air jacks out. You do a big burnout, reverse back, we'll air jack it up, and we'll diagonal the tyres so you've got tyres on front. I forgot about this. ones on rear. And I thought, is it legal? We asked the officials. They said, yep, Cam's bike, yep. And that's what we did. Um, big burnout. Like a full-on pit stop, boom, 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 rattle guns. <laughs> like Lounsey was on a wheel, I think. <laughs> <laughs> he was there, yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah, well, we tried to get him a steer because he was keen as. He was in the truck trying on all my driving suits and, of course, you know, he's bigger ass than what I had and just about split the damn things. And, and then Nat gets a phone call, it's Crenna, no, I ain't allowed, you know. <laughs> Don't you dare, you know. He was keen as, like. Yeah, he was trying on helmets, and <laughs> anyway, they wouldn't let him. It, it was, so yeah, we did. We did the last run, and and I took a lot of risks, and um, yeah, it was worth the crack. You know, I thought, oh well, offensive, offensive. I mean, you know, fence. And there's yeah, no we, bloody we fences. The there's no bloody fences there, mate. They're trees. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> it was, um... <laughs> but I remember arriving at the top and. They were all cheering away, and I thought, "What? Hey, shit! This is this must be good, you know? Might have gone pretty good." So, there's more to the story. The cams wanted to see the Motec data from it. About a couple of weeks later, they'd heard that we were doing like 220 kilometres an hour up a hill climb. So, they, um, I think, they shut it down after that. I think they made it be a, a, a lesser. Distance, um, yeah. So for many, or something, yeah, or? yeah. It, it's still uh, 
we should probably backtrack a bit, but the Ararat Hill Climb, Golden Mole Hill Climb, it was a really well-known thing in the 70s and the 80s. And the, it was 1998, the year that, that you had a run. Um, yep. and, and it had it was... Uh, it hosted the Australian Championship in 93. Bob Jones took his Ampole car. Traddy was there in yeah. a Toll Commodore. Uh, so there was often yeah. some interesting cars there among the regular hill climb set of club cars and open wheelers and, and stuff yeah. like that. And it was the highest, longest, fastest hill climb in Australia until you stuffed it because by breaking <laughs> the overall record, and, yeah, they, I think they looked at your data and went, oh, that's a bit quick. We need to, we need to cool that place down. So I think... The Ararat, um, it was the Ballarat Light Car Club that I was involved with as a kid that that ran the event back in those days. The Ararat Club runs the track now, but it is at a, a the finish line's in a, a shorter point. It doesn't run the full distance, and I think there's a chicane that, if you remember rightly, mate, from the start line up the hill, there was a left-hand kink that you probably took just about flat, if not flat, and then there was a further run-up before the a tighter right-hander. So there was a really long, probably 700-odd metre run where you were flat biscuits all the way up there, and that's probably where you got that 220k an hour top speed. Oh, it was crazy. I mean, Ken Douglas was looking at the data, and and he was the cams. Well, he was the one that, you know, decided that the G-forces and cold tyres, and I mean, not everyone could do what we did within the rules or didn't have the ability to do it with onboard jacks, but, and it probably wasn't fair, but it was was a within the rules, mm, mm. Um, which reminds me, I've still got that perpetual trophy and no one's asked for it back, so you might want to give someone a reminder <laughs> that I've still got it. <laughs> I think I may have got a little question from the car club about that when they knew that I was going to talk to you. So you've answered a question for me. Uh, we oh, know we know where that one is. We, we know that one is. Yeah, um, yeah well, that can, be, um, that, that can be sorted because um, that was, look, Oh, we loved it. Fantastic. Got hassled by the cops on the way home. That was the only bad part about it. Um, it was a huge weekend. It was really good. And it was such a light relief to get out of the supercars and do something different. Yeah. Know? No, it, it was, I mean, club-level motorsport. And I think the other the, – the thing that started was I think you you did a guest-speaking thing with the Ballarat Light Car Club at one of their, I think it was their annual general meeting, um, and it was mentioned at that night, hey, we've got this hill climb, maybe you should come and have a go, and of course that's what it it all led to, and ah, I think... Yeah, I knew someone up there that invited me. I'm not sure if my old well, boy was involved, but God, I, I was, yeah. I was I the commentator. You work in McDonald's, yeah. you know? <laughs> I was the commentator on the track at the Ararat Hill Climb that year, which... Uh, Oh, there's probably photos of it. It was probably a video. It was probably terrible. It was probably horrendous. But um, <laughs> it was uh, no, it was it was a great weekend and uh, something unique to see a, a super. I think the the outright record had been held by a Formula Holden open wheeler, Stan Keen, had yeah. uh, set it at the Australian Championship five years before, and and that's the the record that you you knocked over. I think Lowndes fed me shots uh, in that bar uh, at that hotel. I think I was sixteen, but anyway, you know. <laughs> <laughs> whatever, whatever. <laughs> you got to start somewhere. Hey, mate, we better keep moving with the Cat Tracer questions. Um, I'll zip through them. Uh, Liam Briggs wants to know, how did that police livery at Winton come to be? What was the story there? Uh, okay. Um, I was asked to attend a, a charity lunch for the Tyne and Ear, the two young police officers that were murdered in, I think, South Yarra in Melbourne. Yep, in the mid-80s, yep. Yep, um, and they were having a, a charity run for you know their families and 
happened to be speaking to one of the police media guys and they said, look, hey, we've got a golf day. Um, you'd love to come along. And so I ended up, I got teed up with the chief of police and I won the longest drive. So I got a trophy and all that sort of crap. And um, we just, yeah, he wasn't really a motorsport dude and, you know, we're golf bugging along and, and I said, you know, we don't have a lot of, We've got a lot of space on the car at the moment. We've got the Make-A-Wish Foundation, which I do, you know, a lot of work for them. Um, and, um, you know, it would be great if we could do one up as a police car, as a one-off. And he said, what a great idea. So he said, I'll, I'll check into it. And all of a sudden the sign rider arrived with all the gear and the stickers and it was all the rigid edge um, yeah, no, it was it was easier to make happen. It was just easy. And uh, so we sticked it up, told supercars what we're doing. They said, Yeah, we'll let you run we'll let you run, lead the field out with the blue lights and I think channel ten cut to a bloody tampon ad or something and no no one saw it, you know, it was pretty shit. The people at the track loved it. Um, I got booked on the way home, hundred and eighty bucks by a cop. Who knew? Heard on the radio there was a police supercar at the Winton meeting, but he was one of these bloody road transport cops that just you know was got the ticket book out and was going to use it. And yeah, so no love lost there. Oh, so you, you didn't? You, you said I'm the police supercar driver, but you're going to ping me still. It didn't get you yeah. out of it. Yeah, yeah. The, the, honestly, there were transporters and crew members tooting me on the freeway as I was going by <laughs> as I was getting booked. I had half the shit out of me boot. I had, he wanted to look at all the stuff on the car and oh, shit, it was just a shit fight. Uh, so. uh. Anyway, it was, that was the bad side of it. The good side of it was um, I don't, well, I've got some good memories. I don't have a lot of photos. Very few photos have popped up, but um, I had a great race with Lounge. I think I finished You'd know, fourth or fifth or sixth, and I was right with him the whole race, qualified well. <coughs> so, can't remember. Constable Faulkner no. reporting for duty at Winton in 1999. There are some photos around of that one. We might uh, have to dig a few out and, yeah. and send them up. I think Lowndes was back from a broken leg from his Calder crash. Yeah, after he had his knee operation. An, and was running an older car to enable me to keep yep. up with him. Yep. It was. And he had a low roll centre because I remember the wheels were lifting all over the joint. <laughs> Me and him were having a, we had a, we had a great race at Winton. It was a close, good racing. Yep, I remember it, the reverse livery that they put on that car when he came back after his, uh, his call to rollover. Yeah. Um, Victor's got a good question here, and I think now, from what you said earlier, I know the answer. What was your helmet preference, open face or closed helmet? Oh, definitely open. No way I could have a fag. <laughs> Is it the only reason? Only reason. <laughs> at least you're honest about it. Uh, you know, that's at least you're honest I, about I, it. Yeah, I, I, I was. It was a nerve thing for me. I, you know, I've never really enjoyed them. I just <coughs> always wish I could quit. But you know, um, there was a lot of cupboard smokers back then that used to hang around the JFR truck. I'm not going to name names, but there was a lot of drivers that. Sneak the smoke every now and then. They knew where to come for a uh, for a. Well, a it's a stressful sport, you know. It's, it's a, 
not many occupations. You get out of bed at the morning, you know, try and kill yourself every 100 metres. Mm, mm. Sort of a, a bit different. True. And sometimes, you know, um, yeah, just a, a puff or two, but it's also made me miss a race once too. So What? You know. Yeah, I missed, missed the race at Darwin. Um, Why? Well, I couldn't find my helmet for a start. <laughs> this is in V8 Supercar era. Yeah, I was having a fag and, and, and long hair. Oh, those bloody things will kill you, you know. And I remember taking the helmet off and it was sweaty and <coughs> this newbie guy we had had hung it on the boom, which I'd never done before. Of course, I'm having the last minute dory before the you know the, the five minute boards up. Get out of pit lane, and that's when I can't find the helmet. <laughs> but it's on the pit boom above the car, and you don't know yep. to look there. Yep, yep. By the time I found it, got in the car, they shut pit lane. I missed the race. <laughs> <coughs> oh, it's bad for your health, and it's bad for pit exit. The five minute board as well. It's yep. uh, yeah, yeah. Wow, that's not yeah. too many people can say they missed a V eight supercar race because they a lost the helmet, b were too busy having a dairy to then find the helmet. But you can I was seriously in trouble for it too. I can tell you. So with who? No, not the not the hierarchy. Just you know, wife, crew, sponsors. Yeah, you know, I mm. was embarrassing. Not a good look. Um, um, and I was always last in the car. It was my thing. I just couldn't get in the car and sit there and look at the bloody walls and, you know, think, worry about too much. I just rather last minute get in. I'm always late. I've never really did anything. <laughs> it was just a thing. I was like to be last in and, you know. Yep. That's um, a thing. Explode, you know, go bang. Here we mm. go. Mm. Too yep. much time to think about it. I'll talk myself into it. I'll talk myself out of it. I'd rather just Step get in, in and go. do it. Yep. Yep, makes sense. One last quick question here from uh, Glenn's Graphics via Instagram. We get heaps of questions. Thanks everyone for sending for sending them in. We just can't answer or ask them all. But uh, I think I don't John- know any of these people. These just like <laughs> social media guys, are yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who follow our page? Okay. Who follow what we do? Um, his questions: Who was your biggest rival in the privateer ranks when you're in in V8 supercars? Probably the the more earlier era that you started in it. Uh, Mark Poole. Yeah, he was always a front runner. He's a bloody underrated driver. I mean, I followed him a lot, and he had yeah good cars, and he was a Bridgestone. Um, yeah, no, I, I yeah, he was a bit aloof like me. Just you know, you never really got to know him, and yeah, hmm. always always rated him very highly. Um, and Terry Finnegan, weapon, you know. On, in, on the right day, but Paul would be my pick. Yep, yep. Of course, uh, Mark raced the, the ex-Larry Perkins uh, Bathurst winning car for, for many years, had the backing of James Rosenberg in, in South Australia, who's helped plenty of uh, guys, Tim oh, Slade yeah, included, yeah. over the years. He's invested a lot of money and helped yeah. a lot of guys and a lot yeah. of teams. So, uh, no, that's cool. Great to uh, – actually, Mark Paul, he'd be an interesting one to get on the pod. We might do that down the track somewhere. Oh, he was boring his back shit. Well, yeah. <laughs> I knew, I, I had two worst, and I, I raced against you for like five, five or six years. I, he's, he's just, yeah, he's just, he just doesn't throw himself out there for for such a rated driver. Like, well, maybe every, it's time. Maybe it's time now for all the words he didn't say back in the day. He can save them all up and 
let them all go in an interview. Might be time. Might be time, mate. Dave, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. I know we've chewed a lot of it today as we've we've recorded this. Um, thanks for, for going down memory lane with me um, and thank you too for always being so um, open and, and able to assist. As a, as a young bloke, when I started at Motorsport News, you're always a, a delight to deal with. Um, thank you so much for, for spending some time with us today and it's uh, we will... We'll get a, a, something sorted out to get that perpetual trophy back to uh, the Ballarat Light Car Club. They've been wondering where it's been for the last 22 years. Yeah, no, I've been looking after it. Oh, that's and, all right. Uh, Good pre- to hear. Appreciate to your, um, your uh, inference to the uh, prostate cancer checking. That's the, you know that's something that all men should to do and mm. can't push that enough. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Thanks for taking the time. We look forward to catching up with you in person sometime soon. Too easy. There you have it, John Faulkner, part two, done and in the books on the V8 Salute podcast, powered by Repco. It was great to catch up with JF and talk about a whole pile of stuff. If you didn't listen to part one, go back and have a listen to it now. In fact, go and listen to our whole archive if you've only just joined the V8 Salute podcast, powered by Repco. If you've just come across us, there's a whole pile of chats from the last few years with motorsport names and personalities, uh, focus episodes on special cars, on special series, on categories. There's a whole pile for you to listen to. Don't forget to our online bookshop. We are on the road to Father's Day, Christmas. It'll be here before you know it. Jump on there now, bookshop.v8sleuth.com.au. Some new stocks, some uh, discounted stock. There's some oldies, some newies, some pre-owned items as well, some great old books that you might not have come across before. Jump on the website and check them out. Sign up to our newsletter via vhsleuth.com.au so you're across everything that's going on in our world. And, of course, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we're on all the social media platforms, so keep following us there. Anyway, that's us done and run this time around. Join us next week for another episode of the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Repco. And every Tuesday, it's Repco Supercars Weekly with the latest from the Repco Supercars Championship. We'll chat to you then. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out.